The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love. That lasts forever Though His hope and sure salvation I will trust in Him Though the world falls around me I rest and know that He has found me Christ the rock is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, pastor is an acrostic which stands for preaching all salvation through one Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua, and welcome to the final episode series of Jesus's I Am statements as revealed within God's Word, the Bible. Our goal throughout this episode has been to fully equip ourselves with a complete historical and cultural understanding of the issue. We also have made every effort to approach God's Word with an abiding faith that in doing so with a sincere and earnest desire to learn, we would not fail to deepen a greater understanding and appreciation of God's nature and deity from a diligent Berean study of His Word, the Bible. In the previous 13 episodes, we began a journey to deepen our understanding of Jesus' I Am statements found within the New Testament. As stated, it has been my contention that these various statements, when viewed properly, 
clearly draw a straight line identifying Jesus' divinity and recognition as the God of the Bible, the God of all creation, the Lord of life, and the King of kings. In episodes 1 and 2, we completed a search of Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, along with a survey of the Old Testament in Hebrew, as well as the Septuagint Greek regarding God's revelation to Moses, and by extension to his people of God's character or name. In part three, we began our survey in earnest with a study of Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14, and Luke chapter 22 regarding Jesus' I am statements under oath to the high priest during his trial. In part four, we looked at Jesus' encounter with a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well in John chapter four. In part five, we began to look at Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 and his walking on the water of the Sea of Galilee. In part six, we continued to examine John 6, where Jesus and his disciples land at Capernaum, where Jesus repeatedly says, I am the bread of life. In part 7, we took a side road and looked at John 7, where Jesus used the event of the Feast of Tabernacles and the water drawing ceremony to proclaim that He was Messiah and to invite believers, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. In episode 8, we looked at chapter 8 with the temple lighting ceremony and Jesus' statement saying, I am the light of the world. We also saw in chapter 8, Jesus make the axiomatic logical statement that salvation versus dying in one's sins is contingent on whether or not we have faith in the reality of Jesus' identity as I am. In part 9, we looked at John chapter 8, wherein Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. In part 10, we looked at Jesus' statement, I am the door, and I am the good shepherd, as well as I and the Father are one. In episode 11, we looked at John chapter 11 with Jesus' statement saying, I am the resurrection and the life. In episode 12, we turn to John chapter 13 and 14, wherein we looked at Jesus' statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In episode 13, we looked at John chapter 15, where Jesus said, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. Finally, in this episode, we turn to John chapter 18. In chapter 18, we find the continuing story which we have looked at in episodes 12 and 13. Jesus and his disciples have finished the Passover, i.e. the Last Supper, in the upper room. They have 
passed through the great vineyards, and now they are arriving in the Garden of Gethsemane, which was their destination. We pick up the narrative account in verses 1 through 4. Quote, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kedron, where there was a garden into which he entered, and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? So, here, the words which Jesus had spoken is referring to Jesus' commentary surrounding his statement, saying, quote, I am the true vine, and you are the branches, unquote, discussed in the last episode. Having finished his appointed teaching, Jesus proceeds to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. John gives us background in telling us that Judas Iscariot is familiar with this place and knows that Jesus frequents this garden. Further, the logical conclusion is that Judas knew that Jesus would in fact be there that night, which is how he knew to lead Jesus' captors to that location. Now, in our investigation of this event, the Greek word spera, translated band, quote-unquote, in the sentence, quote, Jesus then having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, unquote, is of key importance. Although there is some latitude and difference of opinion regarding how specifically this word is to be translated, the Greek word spera is most commonly understood to mean a Roman cohort consisting of 470 to 600 trained and armed soldiers. In any case, the quote-unquote band which accompanied Judas was likely large and definitely armed since both Roman and the Jews were accustomed to frequent uprisings from religious zealots who would mount armed insurrections against the Romans bent on overthrowing Roman domination. These insurrections historically had cost much bloodshed in human lives and Rome, in particular, was keen on squashing these uprisings at the early stage. Also, many people misunderstood Jesus' ministry and mission and incorrectly believed that Jesus was the next zealot contender bent on Roman overthrow. Even many Jews were eager to forcibly nominate Jesus into such a role. As a result, Jesus had many people following him for the wrong reasons, and both the Jews and Rome knew it. Consequently, 
If Jesus was to be arrested, they did not want to take any chances. Both the Jews and the Roman officials wanted to send enough people to decisively arrest Jesus and take him into custody. In the midst of this, we are once again reminded that Jesus knows all things. As you will recall, Jesus predicted that Judas would betray him and announced that prediction during Passover for the express purpose that when it came to pass, his disciples would believe that Jesus was God. In both cases, Jesus knows what is going to happen because he is God. In this case, Jesus knows that Judas will come with this band of armed soldiers to arrest him. Jesus knows that they are looking for him. Jesus knows how these soldiers will answer when he asks the question, quote, Whom seek ye? Unquote. All of what has happened is happening and will happen is a choreographed play in which Jesus intimately knows the script. Not only does Jesus know the script, but like an orchestra conductor, Jesus is in charge and in control of every note being played. Thus, at the climax point of this play, Jesus sets the stage and asked the leading question, quote, Whom seek ye? Unquote. Now, before we proceed, it perhaps behooves us to further consider the ramifications of Jesus' question, Whom seek ye? In the ordinary, shallow sense, we could construe this question in terms of Jesus being confused or caught off guard. Essentially, Jesus would be no better than any finite human asking without any idea, uh, who are you guys looking for? But here, Jesus' question is preceded by the information and the reality that Jesus knows all things. This being the case, Jesus' question is not designed to provide him with any information because Jesus already knows. No, this question has the same purpose as that of Matthew chapter 16 verse 15, Mark chapter 8 verse 29, and Luke chapter 9 verse 20. In these accounts, Jesus asks his disciples, quote, whom say ye that I am? Unquote. Here again, Jesus knew who he was and who he is. The question was designed for Jesus' disciples and by extension, everyone who hears it to force an answer. Whether there is a correct answer, a wrong answer, or no answer at all, there is still an answer. In both cases, the question is aimed at revealing Jesus' identity as God. 
Let's continue to see whether our theory is correct. In verse 5, the Romans respond, and then Jesus answers back. Quote, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. Unquote. So Jesus asks this band of armed soldiers, quote, Whom seek ye? Unquote. Then, in response, one or more of the soldiers responds, quote, Jesus of Nazareth. Unquote. Next, the translators have Jesus responding back, saying, quote, I am he, unquote. Now, again, on the face of it, it would seem again that Jesus is merely inquiring as to who these soldiers are looking for. Then the soldiers dutifully respond, quote, Jesus of Nazareth, unquote. Finally, Jesus gives a simple, superficial response of self-admission, saying, quote, Oh yeah, that's me, unquote. The translator's gratuitous insertion of the personal pronoun, quote, he, unquote, aimed at making the English grammar correct, directs us back to the assertion that Jesus is in fact merely confirming that he is admitting that he is simply Jesus of Nazareth. However, the word, quote-unquote, he is not in the original. Literally speaking, the conversation and translation should read, quote, quote, whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am, ego I may. And Jesus also, which betrayed him, stood with them, unquote. Thus, rightly understood, the Roman soldiers are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. But in reality, Jesus is telling them, and us, that in fact we are looking for, and have found much more than a mere finite human being named Jesus of Nazareth. In this case, we have found, quote, I am, ego I may, the Alpha and the Omega, the I exist, I will exist, the being one, the one who exists, the one who is, the becoming one, or he who is. We have found God of very God. Now at this point you may be saying, well, that's a great theory, but do you have any proof that this theory is correct? Well, thank you for asking. Yes. Let's look at verse 6 following. Quote, As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Unquote. Again, forget about the personal pronoun, quote-unquote, he, because it's not in the original. Instead, read, quote, as soon then as he had said unto them, I am, ego I may, they went backward and fell to the ground, unquote. Uh, what? 
Uh, how do you explain that non-believing pagan Romans comprised of grown men who are trained and armed and have seen battle fall backward to the ground simply because one man who is unarmed admits that, quote, he, end quote, is a mere man, Jesus of Nazareth. Um, I mean, maybe I could understand if Nazareth was a town which was renowned for producing undefeated warriors who had repeatedly demonstrated that they could defeat thousands of armed warriors single-handedly. Uh, maybe I could understand if Jesus had pulled out a Thompson machine gun just as he admitted he was Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, maybe all 470 to 600 soldiers simultaneously slipped on a banana peel. But here we are supposed to believe that 470 to 600 trained and armed soldiers fell down backwards simply because Jesus said, yeah, I'm that guy? On the other hand, if we defer to our theory at hand that Jesus' use of ego I may, I am, is actually in context a proclamation and declaration of being the living God with all power and authority over everything, then 470 to 600 trained and armed soldiers falling down backwards makes perfect and logical sense. Well, wait a minute, why? Because wherever we go in God's word, whenever and wherever the living God shows up, people fall down as if they were dead. It's a consistent and reoccurring fact of the Old Testament. Thus, the fact that Jesus declares that he is God, here by saying, ego I may, I am, has the same reaction. There's virtually no other explanation for any trained and armed soldier to fall backwards than to say that God has declared himself. It should also be remembered that the fact that they did fall down backward at Jesus' proclamation is tied to the fact that Jesus knows all things. In other words, Jesus is here endowing his very words, i.e. ego, I may, I am, with his divine power, which has the effect it does in order to demonstrate that he is God. Jesus knows Judas is betraying him. Jesus knows how many soldiers are coming and why. Jesus knows that his time is appointed. Jesus planned all of this from time and eternity in advance. Jesus is not being captured or taken by any force or the hand of any man. 
Jesus is surrendering himself voluntarily by his own power and hand as the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth. This act of Jesus' power with his proclamation and the soldiers falling down backwards is a confirmation that it is he who is in control of all things as God. In verse 7, Jesus repeats his original question and gets the same answer. Quote, then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Unquote. In verse 8, Jesus repeats his assertion of his identity. Quote, Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. Unquote. Once again, Jesus says, quote, I am, unquote, ego I may. There is no, quote unquote, he in the original. Now, in one case, I read in a rebuttal commentary which argued and asked if Jesus' response of ego I may, i.e., I am, has all this power associated with its usage and causes these trained armed soldiers to fall backwards when uttered, then why don't they fall backward the second time when Jesus utters uh, the same words? This argument then supposedly proves that we are incorrect about the definition of ego I may and that either the soldiers fell down for some other reason we are not told or that the whole thing is exaggerated and made up. But those making this argument are confused. It is not the words themselves which carry any power. Rather, it is the one, Jesus, who is speaking the words who carries power and authority. So, the simple answer is that Jesus chose to empower his words in the first instance, and that power and his deity was manifested with the result that the soldiers fell down backwards in response to his power. In the second case, Jesus did not choose to empower his words. In both cases, the words Jesus spoke, ego I may, are still a clear reference and identification by Jesus that he is God of very God. Verses 9 through 12 finish this incident. Quote, That the saying might be fulfilled which he spake, Of them which thou gavest me have I lost none, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into thy sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Then the band and the captain and the officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him." Unquote. So, Jesus, having clearly identified himself as God, then voluntarily submits himself for arrest and to be bound. Now, you might ask, wait a minute. 
how do you know that Jesus volunteered himself? It sounds like he had no choice. Well, the answer is found in Matthew chapter 26, where we see the parallel account. In verse 50, one or more of the soldiers present lays hands on Jesus to arrest him. In verse 51, Peter is also said to have pulled out his sword and cut off Malchus's ear. In verse 52, Jesus tells Peter to put away his sword. Finally, in verses 53 and 54, we read the following, quote, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be, unquote? So, putting things into perspective, a legion is equal to 6,000 men. Therefore, 12 legions would be 72,000 angels. You ask, why is this significant? Well, because if you will recall reading 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35, we find the following, quote, and it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses, unquote. Consequently, we know that it is possible for one single angel to slaughter 145,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. If one angel can slaughter 145,000 soldiers single-handedly, then what will 72,000 angels be able to do? Secondly, the original word translated quote-unquote presently in the above verse in Matthew more literally means that the 72,000 angels in question are armed and immediately ready. They are simply waiting at a moment's notice. They are immediately present and ready to step in at Jesus' mere whisper of a request for help. More importantly, Matthew tells us along with other verses that this was planned from the beginning of time within the Godhead. God the Son, Jesus, was the architect for this plan and as stated, was in control according to his own power at all times. As Revelation 13.8 states, Jesus was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This now brings us to the last instance of Jesus' I am statements found in the parallel accounts of Matthew chapter 28 and Luke chapter 24. 
In both cases, Jesus had been crucified. He has died, been buried, and has risen again. After several encounters with his disciples and having been seen by many others, Jesus then prepares to ascend to God the Father as was the plan. In Matthew's account in chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, we read, quote, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even into the end of the world. Amen. Unquote. Luke's account in chapter 24 verses 50 through 53 reads, quote, And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God Amen. Unquote. In both cases where we read the words, quote, I am, the words ego I may make it clear that Jesus again is referring to himself as God. You ask, how do we know this? Well, if ego I may is merely simple self-identification and Jesus is just saying, uh, hey, everyone, uh, the mere mortal man known as Jesus of Nazareth, that guy, you know, me, I uh, will be with you always, even into the end of the world. Well, then we have a problem because the mere mortal man, Jesus of Nazareth, left moments later and has been absent from our physical presence on earth for 2000 years. On the other hand, if Jesus is very God of God, and Jesus is both 100% God and 100% man, then the physical man Jesus can be absent, while God's spirit is always present everywhere with everyone. This is why Jesus' use of ego I may makes sense if it is being equated with being God. Jesus is in fact saying ego I may, I am, the Alpha and the Omega, the I exist, the I will exist, the being one, the one who exists, the one who is, the becoming one, or he who is will be with you always even to the end of the world. What else would you expect 
from God, who is a being who was, is, and always will be throughout eternity without beginning or end. He exists and always will exist because he is God. This is who Jesus is. In the final conclusion, we began our episode series with Exodus chapter 3, verses 13, 14, and 15, and God's introduction of himself and his nature and character to Moses. We studied the Hebrew and the Greek words which translated these verses and applied them to various statements of Jesus in the New Testament along with the respective situations in which Jesus made these statements. In each case, we took care to research the statements and those situations according to proper hermeneutical and exegetical principles. In each case, we applied four basic guidelines, including one, the grammatical structure of the phrase, including capitalization and the use of predicate nominative and uh, in conjunction with the phrase ego I may. Two, the context on which the phrase uh, is used. Three, the historical examples and types embedded or explicit in the context of the incident. And four, the reaction by those listening. After a careful review using the totality of all that we have studied and applied, it is abundantly clear that Jesus' use of the phrase, ego I may, goes far beyond simple self-identification and in context can only be understood to be an affirmation, admission, and declaration of his deity as the living God, the God of the burning bush, the Alpha and Omega, Yahweh, Jehovah, an omnipotent, omnipresent being who exists irrespective of time. Jesus of Nazareth is simply God incarnate, Emmanuel, who upon his incarnation became 100% God and 100% man for all time. Jesus is ego I may, I am, the Alpha and the Omega, the I exist, I will exist, the being one, the one who exists, the one who is, the becoming one, or he who is God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself, your nature, your attributes, and your character through the person of your son, Yeshua, Hamashiach, Jesus. We thank you that by your grace and by your grace alone, we whom you have chosen may share fellowship with you forever through faith in the finished work of your Son and his righteousness imputed to us by that relationship. 
May your grace and power, which raised your son from death to life, and which has raised us to life, continue to sanctify us each daily into the likeness and image of your son in whom you are well pleased. We ask you and thank you for this in the name of your son, Yeshua. Amen. This concludes our episode series. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Trust in